Warning, this show contains adult themes and language, including needless medical bills and death. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released in early May of 2021, and we are discussing disevidentia because it is clear billions would get bit by a zombie and lie to their group because of it. I am Mako. And I am Squeaky. We discuss logic and evidence because we don't yet have breathing tubes. Check out our sponsors at disevidentia.com on our support page. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia. If you already have spent all your money on masks, cleaners, and PPE, like, subscribe, and leave a comment or review to help us out. If you have a paper you have written or a small business to plug, let us know. The small business of the show is Worm and Ward, two literary series by Wildbow, James McRae. They are both grimdark stories following superheroes at the end of the world. It is free online, but Wild Bo has a Patreon too. Check it out at parahumans.wordpress.com. Today we are going to discuss what makes for good evidence and COVID deniers getting COVID. But first, I'm going to go on a rant. Warning! This show contains... Oh, I didn't write a warning! Oh, shit. When arguing with people, I used to try to win. I was young and came from an environment surrounded... I'm mostly conservatives. I wasn't overly religious, but I came from an environment where everyone defaulted to believing in a god. I guess I was lucky. I could handle evidence. I just hadn't seen much of it yet. I got in an argument with another child conservative about climate change. Mr. Shannon, you know who you are. He defaulted to parroting those around him, and he wasn't dumb. But he was trying to win without considering the larger strategy. I outmaneuvered him because I figured out what reality said on the topic mattered most, and acknowledging that scientists would side with reality. So we both got sources and both tried to appeal to each other's better senses of logic. By the end of it, I learned how CO2 impacted the climate but not weather, what earlier scientists thought about the coming ice age, and how that related to the evidence, and how human behavior factored into it. He had a messy, disconnected set of targeted attacks on my ideas, and few positive assertions of his own. Only after I had presented my argument could he research, then shoot down my points. I had learned enough to build a cohesive and sound view of the world. When he put fallacious arguments up, I often had an immediate response, and not one from a list, but rather I knew what was going on and could see that he had no plan or cogency, so I could easily point out how his point didn't fit. Imagine you're preparing a simple dinner with a child too young to read. I am imagining some simple boxed mac and cheese. I could see all the instructions on the box, and I do the steps beginning to end. Having much experience with this simple meal, I know what happens if we miss a step, or what might be substituted. In his ignorance, he was this child suggesting we put chocolate ice cream in at every step. He liked the conservative viewpoint, like a child might like ice cream, and couldn't see the larger organization of the meal or ideas and kept trying to force chocolate ice cream into the reality of this dinner. Okay, enough. That metaphor is more strange than the macaroni. Sometimes you have enough knowledge that a lot of things fit together easily in your mind. It doesn't have to be political. Perhaps you know how people interact, how math works, or as we will discuss later, how a disease spreads. When you know enough, your understanding can allow you to make inferences about a topic and know when something simply doesn't fit. There isn't enough knowledge 
to do this about every topic, and it is possible for a person to drink enough conspiracy Kool-Aid to think that they get it for a large amount of conspiracies. But appealing to evidence and vetting sources while not cherry-picking rarely has such issues. We saw on Jan 6 how poorly the ignorant organize and how feeble they are in a fight. Sure, they cling to their guns and the Second Amendment and pretend it is a shield against tyranny, but it doesn't matter when one is detached from reality. They can't agree on when to act or how to act, and have no obvious source of leadership because so many have different equally invalid claims to authority. This is why flat earthers can't organize and why churches are losing attendees. Reality might not have the fantastical intrigue of a religious tale, but it is real. I don't know of any certain way to know that you or I aren't in one of those groups deluding ourselves. But demanding evidence and demanding reputable sources and consulting expertise seems to be a good starting point. When I say expertise, I mean people who understand a topic so well they see a dozen interrelated subtopics the way I see a mac and cheese dinner. We can all be tricked or wrong. I started this thinking climate change was fake and God was real. I just kept vetting and verifying evidence with an eye on accuracy instead of picking a side. I chose accuracy over winning, and for most of us, that's all it takes. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process... Here, let me get those out of there for you. So just before we started recording... Mako and I were discussing how we were getting our sources for this, and it just so happened that we stepped on two of the same sources. <laughs> but we each were planning on bringing three of them to this discussion on what makes for good evidence. Uh, what sources did you bring? Uh, I found three sources, and it was not it's not difficult to find sources, but it is a little bit frustrating, as I expressed with you, because of some of the similarities of the material covered with each of the sources. But I wanted to lean more towards sources that were more academic in nature because they're considerably less likely to have some kind of political opinion on like how you're supposed to evaluate these things. So I found one source from uh, Shoreline Community College where they're talking about it from a literary perspective, how you evaluate evidence and how you present evidence in literary works that has some really good breakdowns. Uh, Another source I found was the same that you found at buildingcriticalthinking.com, and it serves as a really good primer for pros and cons of different kinds of evidence that exist. And there's also an additional link where they cover uh, specifically bad evidence, the fallacies that are associated with them, and provides plenty of examples for how bad evidence is often structured and presented. And the third source that I found was a YouTube video that covers uh, Carl Sagan's baloney detection kit, where it is a list of 10 questions that you can ask to try to determine if the evidence being presented to you is worthwhile. And it's a it's a 14 minute video. It's a really good watch uh, that I do recommend. I was like, yeah, I overheard that video when you were uh, still getting some research done. It yeah. had Michael Shermer talking about a uh, Carl Sagan's? Yes. Oh, yeah, those are both two pretty good people on the topic of logic and science. Mm -hmm. Here there's some scandal with Michael Shermer, but I don't remember the details on it. No, I haven't heard. Uh, I think he got handsy with someone. Oh, no. I'm not sure, though. That might just be hearsay or speculation, or it could have been some other old white science guy. Yeah. I found three sources. One of them was a very similar, the Building Critical Thinking site. 
Yep. I like that they went over a bunch of pros and cons instead of just said, this is better than that. Um, I have one from maricopa.edu. They have medical courses online, and this was directed at nurses and uh, doctors and academic researchers. And the idea was, how do you rate one kind of scholarly paper over another? And it puts all hearsay and opinion and everything down at the bottom. So I feel it's incomplete for our purposes, but it lets us at least think about the idea of what kind of evidence, why would we consider one source better than another? Mm-hmm. And they do have a nice chart. And then uh, Wikiversity. Wikiversity has a course on evaluating evidence. And there was a really nice essay in it about being 99.9% ignorant. And I have both of those links that'll be in the show notes. But the Wikiversity... Wiki, Wikiversity? God, I just put Wikiversity? The word, I don't know how you say it. Okay. I read it. I didn't read I didn't like say it out loud. But yeah, Wikiversity. Sure. That thing is... That document... That course is huge, but I do like that they go over activities you can do. And because there's nobody to judge you or grade you, if you just go through each of those things, they're trying to prov- provoke new ways to start thinking about these about these things. Mm-hmm. And they ask you, like, how is your opinions, how are your opinions and perspectives on how you use evidence changed? And how do you think they're likely to change again in the future? But then they also start off with, like, the very base, most logic stuff. So it'll seem really... For anyone who spent any time thinking about it, it'll seem really basic, really boring until they start getting into specific examples that might make you think. Consider that the same evidence doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. And they have an example very early on about these spots that you get. Yeah, Sorry? the difference between raw data and interpretation of that data. Exactly, exactly. Uh, their example was measles spots. They're called uh, coplic spots. And a doctor will see these these kinds of spots and know immediately that's measles, but somebody not versed in medicine might be like, oh, a rash or oh, a pox. They're sick. Mm-hmm. Right? So both people are getting knowledge out of it. You know, this person is ill, but a doctor will immediately know what kind of illness and know how to act on it. And same thing like you and I being familiar with computers, we would see that if someone's telling us to delete System 32, you and I would immediately know that some 4chan person is trying to get one over on you. Yeah. Is plainly obvious to someone like myself (laughs) you've never deleted system 32 you know as a joke one time when i was totally prepared to just uninstall it i did actually put in the command to see what would happen it stopped you didn't it oh yeah it was like no this volume's in use you're not allowed to do this this is why linux is a superior operating system you actually can delete your whole os superior you say uh okay this might not be a good example okay It is pretty awesome when you delete all your files. The system is still sort of technically running, but then it immediately tries to, like, use any file and just freaks out. Yep, that's uh, (laughs) predictable. Uh, So, in all these sources, what were some of the best ways you saw to to start evaluating evidence? How do you think about evidence? How do you... Uh, I would say that of all the things that I looked over, and there's a lot of good information, uh, but of all the things I looked over, I'm definitely more closely aligned with Carl Sagan's approach to evaluating evidence and specifically the uh, like the scientific process, like how you ask a question, how you construct an experiment, how you scrutinize the results of that experiment and applying that to how you assess evidence in the real world. There is a lot of really close analogies between these processes. Oh, yeah. This, of course, science is similar to yeah. to any 
structured method to evaluate evidence. Yeah, and they're not quite the same. They're not like one-to-one because in science, you're trying to do as much as humanly possible to constrain the question. Yeah, and you're trying to learn something that no one else knows. Yeah. So you have to like work much harder. But presumably when you're evaluating evidence, most of it is going to be learning something that somebody else knows while leaving out error. Yeah, and the, the full depth of the topic can be arbitrarily wide, depending on the claim that's being made. In science or in evidence? In evidence. Okay, I see I see what you're saying. So it's not quite one-to-one, but aside from these high-level differences, there's quite a few uh, similarities. Yeah, and it's not like a scientific experiment is ever going to lie to you. Right? Yeah. It might be wrong, and you might be misinterpreting a thing. Or you fail to account for some unknown variable. Yeah, but I mean, if you accidentally include Fox News in one of your sources, you, you might be getting lied to. Yeah, it's true. Fox News probably isn't the best example there. They lie infrequently. Uh, Infowars? Yeah, that's a much better example. There you go. They lie every episode. I, I would argue they lie probably every segment. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. We have so much good stuff for that for our next segment, actually. We talk about more COVID, unfortunately, but yeah, it's very Infowars relevant. So part of why I wanted to, to discuss evidence was the amount of... the amount of conversations I've been having with people recently where they seriously don't get it. Is this more LinkedIn discussions or somewhere else? Uh, some of it, yeah. Reddit discussions, even discussions like face-to-face. Oh, I'm sorry. It happens. And it's going to happen more now that we don't have masks between our faces. But uh, people have a really strong emotional attachment to testimonials. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but how do you feel about testimonials? Uh, they're outrageously unreliable for a number of reasons. And that's actually one thing that is covered in the, the building critical thinking source that we both found. Yeah. And... They they point out that it can be a really strong tool because, of all things, its big particular strength is the emotional appeal. And so if you want to get someone to start feeling emotional about a particular problem, provide a testimonial. And when you have actual evidence and facts to, to back up your claim in a testimonial to go with it, to just really drive the point home, then you're utilizing that form of evidence uh, well but if you're using it and only it or it and bad evidence then you are grossly grossly abusing it so you're saying testimonials can be a reasonable marketing tool for an idea Uh, i also see another role they can be used as the starting point for an investigation and i don't mean any big fancy investigation not hiring people or anything just like if you don't know a thing starting with what somebody else said is a reasonable starting point You know, you're out mowing your lawn or, you know, riding the bus or or whatever, and somebody says something to you, right? Your your, your neighbor pipes up and says, hey, did you hear that, you know, if you set your mower one notch higher, your lawn will grow better. Well, you know, you don't take him at his word. That's really goofy and weird and means you have to mow more often. Or if you're on the bus, if they, you know, give you some, you know, some new bus route, that'll save you a bunch of time. But either of these cases, you can double check. You can Google either of these things. You can go get the bus schedule. You can go read up on experts on mowing lawns and figure out whether or not it's a good idea. Or you can experiment. You can try it, right? Mm-hmm. But either way, neither of these claims were ridiculous at the, on, on their face. And you then have other avenues to investigate. But then when people start making ridiculous claims, like, hey, my brother was abducted by aliens and they probed him. Yeah, Mako's making a face, but... yeah. We, I've gotten that literally free. Okay, not literally aliens probed my brother, but I have gotten in the past two weeks, somebody told me they were healed by prayer. And that same person also told me that their grandfather regenerated a limb. 
Huh. So as a starting point for investigation, this was my only source. I asked them, cool, can you give me any documentation or a picture of before or after or anything like that? Yeah. Did they firsthand see the before and after? Of their grandfather regenerating the limb? No. Of course not. Yeah. Uh, this was started on a LinkedIn argument about uh, why doesn't God ever heal amputees? Mm-hmm. This guy piped up and no, God totally healed my grandpa. And I'm like, links or it didn't happen. Yep. I think that one time, the first time, that was the first time I engaged this person, I was more polite. But after a while, it devolved to me just every time he speaks, it's links or it didn't happen because he's clearly lying. Yeah. Anyway, that's not all that leads me to say he's clearly lying. We had protracted discussions. There's other kinds of evidence and he didn't want to present anything. Mm -hmm. Let's say a doctor made like notes and they said that they healed something, right? Those are like professional notes. That's clearly a stronger form of evidence. Yeah, and there's still potentially fallacies there, but it's it's much better than just arbitrary hearsay. Absolutely. And when you start looking at these academic kinds of evidence, you can start asking why is one kind better than another and maybe reapply that lesson to the more everyday type of evidence we always get. Yeah. The Maricopa source was talking about how uh, firsthand, actually, let me zoom out a little bit, in these academic sources, there's this concept that the closer you get to the experiment actually happening, the more expert it's going to be, but the more narrow and constrained it's going to be. So if you want to ask a very general question, right, if you can find a paper that exactly covers your question, brilliant, because then you will get a very highly reliable answer. You will get data directly from people who did an experiment to check that, but that's not usually the case. Mm -hmm. Usually we need to draw inferences of some kind. So there are like meta-studies, like in the last episode, we talked about vaccine safety. Right? If you want to know if vaccines in general are safe, you can't pick any one study because one study is typically looking for, is this vaccine safe under this condition with this dosages? It's not very good. Yeah. Or even maybe even getting into demographics. Like, is yeah. it safe for this group of people? Yeah. One study might have only tested people in, you know, in Omaha, Nebraska, and that means 90% of them are going to be white. So you won't know if it's safe for natives or black people or... Yeah. Whatever. So if you look at a bunch of studies, you can then average it out and see, oh, it's different for these demographic reasons. But that means your data is going to be less precise and experiments run by different people are going to be subtly different. Maybe the dosages will be different. Maybe the conditions they're administered in will be different. Maybe some of the studies, some people went home, some didn't. The evidence quality will be good for different things. But for a question as vague as, is the vaccine safe? It's like, oh, all the studies roughly had one in a million people having issues. Fine probably good yeah but then when you have a general question like that and there isn't a good meta-analysis a good collection when i say meta-analysis i mean when people take a lot of other studies and try to gain further inferences try to gain further knowledge if there isn't one of those for your specific question you might be left trying to look at a bunch of sources yourself and that can be difficult if you're not familiar with these academic papers yeah it'd be really really simple to miss out on some nuanced detail when you're trying to aggregate all these things and we had this problem a lot with uh, the guns topic. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of people citing specifically that uh, Bureau of Justice Statistics. I think that's actually correct. Yeah. Yeah. I made sure it was correct this time. Good job. Thank you. So the Office of Bureau Justice Stats. Oh, God. No? Moving on. Their really weird definition of a gun crime, the one where any victim thought they saw a gun is what gets cited by a lot of these people for saying gun crime is down. Then they take those numbers and they line them up with other numbers that use different definitions to make, you know, sometimes it's an honest mistake, 
right? Sometimes people are taking our gun numbers and then comparing it to gun numbers from another country. It's an easy mistake to make. It is. Yeah. So if you're going to do that, you need to make sure that the other country's gun numbers do the same thing. If it's, you know, if they're looking at the witness saw a gun, but the most common number to get that's evenly tracked is like gun homicides or gun injuries. So it's just really easy to take two different kinds of evidence and put them together in a way where it lost meaning because you didn't do it. Yeah. And it still somehow maintains the appearance of meaning and likeness, but it's not because nuance. And I guess that brings us to other less formal kinds of evidence. People love to make little infographics. Some of them are really well researched and show sources on them. Those are, well, anything that cites a source is automatically better than something that doesn't. Yeah. Ah, goodness. I saw a really bad one. Somebody linked to me a video that just had some, like, hip-hop dancers with lights in their shoes dancing, but it was spouting all this homophobic propaganda, talking about how some huge percentage of uh, gay people have AIDS and... Some of the numbers were just totally wrong, and some of the numbers were taken out of context to make them seem worse, and then a bunch of the numbers were just fabricated, right? Mm -hmm. But this thing didn't cite sources. It had no reason to be a video. It could have been a one-paragraph-long sentence, but any of that would have made it easier to copy and paste and Google search, would have made it citable, referenceable, would have made it that much easier to debunk. It was clearly a piece of misinformation, but if you didn't ask some of these questions, like, what are some of the questions Michael Shermer had? Let's apply them to this video. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, give me... And I'll have to go dig up the video and try to put it in the show notes. A moment. This is going to take a moment. Okay, let me see if I can get a link to the video while you're doing that. Looks like I can't get it. Discord security permissions. Okay. So, all right, here it is. So the the 10 questions from Carl Sagan's baloney detection kit. Uh, The first one is, how reliable is the source of the claim? All right, so these people didn't cite any sources. That's pretty unreliable. Outrageously unreliable. Least reliable, I dare say. Two, does the source make similar claims? Wait, does which source? Or the original source? So I... I tried to Google up where they got some of these numbers. Mm-hmm. So I took some of the specific numbers they had. Like, I think they said that like 53% of, pe- of gay people had HIV. So I tried to Google that. And I'm like, I couldn't find a source that had even attempted to answer that question. Well, this is, these questions are going to be a little bit awkward for, in the context of this video. Okay. Because there's the separation between the claim and the evidence. Ah. And the video itself is the claim. But you said yourself, they provide no source. And a lot of these questions have uh, are, are actually talking about the source itself. So let, let's skip some of these questions. Sure. Let's just do the ones that are applicable here. Just the ones that cover the claim. Uh, have the claims been verified by someone else? Oh, uh, both me and Heather started going over it and we both verified all the claims were bullshit. Somehow, I don't think that's what they're trying to cover here. They but... mean, did another expert agree? Yeah, pretty much. Like, if we got CDC numbers for how many people got COVID, then Dr. Fauci came out and said something. Somebody reputable making the same claim. Like, if PolitiFact verified it. Sure. Okay. I I presume that no no such. No one else verified this. Okay. Uh, Next question that applies to this video. Does this fit with the way the world works? It's kind of a really difficult question here, because the world works, and it's a very subjective interpretation. Physics wouldn't prevent the claims of this video. This was clearly just anti-gay propaganda, and they didn't claim that, like, gay people breathed fire or something. Uh, Five, has anyone tried to disprove the claim? Uh, I'm pretty sure those were freshly fabricated, so no. But as soon as I started looking in, they Mm -hmm. fell apart. As soon as, like, I went to, like, the CDC, 
Like the numbers just started falling apart. So this next question actually covers an answer you already gave. Is the claimant playing by the rules of science? No, absolutely not. <laughs> they provided no steps to, to duplicate their results. They provided uh, an extremely biased view. They didn't themselves try to remove bias. They didn't do anything you'd expect a scientist to do. No. Is the claimant providing positive evidence? More than just trying to shoot down other things, are they giving positive reinforcement to the claims they are making? Okay, so since they didn't provide evidence, no. But that's also not what that question's asking, is it? I mean, kind of. They're, okay, I, I think I have a better example for positive evidence later. Sure. That would be like, like when religious people try to shoot down evolution, and then when they feel they've shot down evolution... Then God is the answer. The ridiculous example I think of in regards to evolution yeah. was, is the person that I remember reading uh, where they tried to shoot down the idea of evolution because they tried to make the claim that uh, a rock doesn't become a salamander. So therefore, evolution can't exist. And there's a preponderance of issues with that. But even if we were to disregard all those other issues, it doesn't actually prove creationism in any way, shape, or form. It's just it's trying to be destructive towards evolution. Yeah. And if they, let's say they do disprove evolution, theoretically that's possible. It doesn't prove creationism. Yeah. So, so that's the difference between positive yeah. and negative. Okay. So with regards to this uh, uh, video, no, there was, there was no positive evidence or negative evidence presented. So, mm -hmm. so no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how applicable this one is. Does the new theory account for as many phenomena as the old theory? Yeah. Not relevant. Yeah. And this one's very relevant. The last question. Are personal beliefs driving the claim? Oh, uh, yeah, totally. This clearly came from some right-wing Facebook group, and it was then relayed to me by some questioning former alt-writer. So, uh, yeah. given your, the answers to the questions you could give answers to, uh, it seems pretty likely, according to Carl Sagan, that this is baloney. Yep, and then... Of course, I went and checked with the CDC every claim that I, uh, the first three claims the video made, and they were all baloney. Yeah. There was one that lined up with the real numbers, because the, was it, it was about the amount of gay people adopting kids, mm -hmm. and it made it seem like videos trying to claim there was some gay agenda, and that they were adopting all the kids to make all the kids gay. But it turns out that in some southern states, that gay people adopt more kids than uh, uh, cis or, or hetero, heterosexual people, and... Uh, there's like a bunch of good ways to explain and understand that because mm -hmm. just you can't be gay and out in the South and poor. You have to you have to be able to move to a city. You have to be able to, uh, you know, get away from rural people who will you know, do bad things to you. And per capita, that makes the gay adoption rate look fantastically huge. Makes sense. Yeah, because there's just not a lot of people who are out. So none of them get counted. So it looks like. Yeah, it's just all kinds of weird things skewing the numbers, and it's just easy to take that and make it look like there's some gay adoption agenda, and it's just ridiculous. Again, the difference between raw data and interpretation strikes. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely correct. All right, what's a better thing that we might apply these 10 questions to? Well, I believe the context that Carl Sagan originally developed these questions were towards uh, anti-science claims that were more popular at the time. Okay, like claims that evolution doesn't isn't real doesn't exist why don't we run with that because i've had those arguments not that long ago within the past month or so was the last time i had one of those arguments the other example i was going to bring up was flat earth <laughs> okay let me let me i have not argued with the flat earth in a good three or four months okay 
the last time I argued with somebody about evolution, they were trying to say creationism must be true because genetic entropy would prevent evolution from happening. Interesting claim. Have you ever heard of genetic entropy? I mean, I know what these two words mean in isolation, but I've not heard them together. Okay, so it's this ridiculous pseudoscientific idea, and I'm going to try to steel man it the best I can. Sure. But genetic entropy puts forward the idea that as errors accrue in the DNA of reproducing organisms, that the fitness of species must decline over time because entropy. Because of this, humans and all other animals are as weak as we've ever been, and common evidence they cite for this is higher rates of disease that are tracked now than were tracked hundreds of years ago. Oh my god. They sometimes get really specific, like we have more autism diagnoses in the 20-teens than we do in the 1980s. Uh, there's more allergies today than there were in the 1970s. You never heard about kids with peanut allergies in the 1970s. Presumably because they died. Yeah, yep, that's how that worked. But people putting forth genetic entropy, God, I said I'd try to steal, man, and I'm, it's so ridiculous. But they say that these, these errors accrue over generations, and that isn't accounted for by evolution, therefore we must have creationism. Something tells me that none of these people making these claims are molecular biologists. To the best of my knowledge, no. This is almost a correction. There is a Dr. John C. Sanford who is almost a molecular biologist. He is a geneticist, and back in the 90s had a couple of interesting breakthroughs. Since then, he's written a book titled Genetic Entropy, where he recorded this idea and bad mathematical models for it. And largely, other qualified scientists don't agree with his opinion on evolution. He went from reputable to quackery somewhere in the decade between. As if to drive home his quackery, he has titled his view Theistic Evolution, just in case his bias wasn't otherwise clear. Please check the show notes, I'll leave a couple of links. And coming up here in a little bit, I indicated that Answers in Genesis is a possible source for such claims. I don't mean they're the only such source. There are many groups out there that are lying and fabricating bad science for the purpose of pushing a religious narrative. Okay. Well, we have a theory that's at least pseudoscientific. Mm -hmm. Do you want to try running through the questions again? Sure. <laughs> you are not thrilled by this. Uh, because I know where this is going to go, but let's do this. Sure. Uh, first question, how reliable is the source of the claim? There actually are some books on this claim, but they're all from people who are known fraudsters or known liars, or in the very best, most generous case, the people putting these claims forward are theologians, not molecular biologists. So ranging from... From questionable to outright bad. Yeah, that's that's a very fair way to phrase that. Okay, off to a terrible start. Okay, moving on. So when we're talking about the, the difference between the claim and the source, does the source that they provide make similar claims to the original claim? Like, is that a reasonable interpretation of the data? Uh, well, yes. But when a theological book cites answers in Genesis, they're gonna agree. <laughs> so... Wait, Genesis tries to talk about... Oh, no, entropy? there's a group called Answers in Genesis. Uh, oh. Yeah, Ken Ham runs, or Ken Ham is one of the main people involved in this. Okay, that was a little bit confusing phrasing. I was about to say that's oddly specific for a 2,000-year-old book. 
Yeah, no. So Answers in Genesis is a nonprofit religious group that it is their motive to prove creationism, and they they have a a number of scientists, people who claim to be scientists that go around gathering data for things, and are, the data is not well put together. But sorry, even if we were to believe that they actually are scientists, are they scientists in the relevant fields? Um. So actually, uh. Sort of. They claim to be biologists. They claim to be uh, physicists. And that's pretty much the two groups they have. Weird. They don't have like a wide set of things. Like they don't have computer scientists. They don't have radiologists. But specifically what they have is the skill sets they think they need to disprove evolution, to disprove the Big Bang, to disprove scientific theories of of a certain kind. These guys are very focused on their narrative. Okay. Well, I would imagine the only expert that we really need is a molecular biologist. I don't know if they have specifically a molecular biologist, but just because they pass on this one question. Yeah. Yeah. Does does the claim in, in these various books and the various people making these arguments, does it match with their sources? Answers in Genesis. Yeah, that's true. But Okay. Well, let's not dwell too much and move on to the next question. Yeah. Uh, have the claims been verified by somebody else? No. Oh. No. No one else verifies this. Oy. Does this fit with the way the world works? Uh, no. We are healthier and live longer today than we did in the past. Yeah. So if errors were building up in our gene pool, we would expect the inverse to be true. But it turns out that humans live about the same amount of time if they have access to the same amount of technology. Mm-hmm. Right? If you have toilets, you're more likely to live longer because you get less poo germs in your food. Real simple. Yeah, and environmental factors, a slight segue. Environmental factors, uh, like the amount of lead that was in everything decades ago, Mm. can easily be pointed to for a number of ailments that have been common in the past. And just, yeah, there's a lot of potential explanations for a lot of the individual observations that it sounds like they are making. Oh, yeah. That it, it doesn't need to be this arbitrary claim about how genetics works. (laughs) Anyway, uh, next question. Where does the preponderance of evidence point? So minor clarification on this. Again, separating the claim from the evidence. Uh, Presumably there's multiple pieces of evidence. And do they all uh, point to the claim? So as soon as we get evidence from anybody other than Answers in Genesis or one of these very faith-based groups, as soon as we reach outside of those groups, all of the evidence shoots this down. Every piece of evidence indicates that when there is a mutation that's harmful, that individual dies, or if it does breed, the individuals that are descended from it eventually die. That's how we get things like extinction or uh, traits that are not conducive to reproduction weeded out of a population. They, they don't help. <laughs> as soon as you have a deer that's constantly making a high-pitched noise, right, if that is if that is a gene that it has, the wolves and, and other predators will immediately hear it and chase it down and kill it and eat it. It won't get to have baby deers that also make high-pitched noises. It is self-correcting, in a way. That's the whole driving point of evolution. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. Uh, just for examples of the kinds of evidence that support this, we have a giant fossil record of many, many fossils, not for any one species, but all of them show that bones haven't suffered genetic entropy. We have lots of dating of things to show that they're really old, that we have creatures that look like creatures today that haven't significantly changed. We have computer models of how ev- of, of how evolution works. Genetic entropy doesn't work when you put it into a computer model. It doesn't ever come out. Mm-hmm. And countless other sources of evidence that just shoot this down. Yeah, you are Sorry. getting a little in the weeds there. 
Didn't mean to. Let's move on. Yep. Next, Next question. question. Is the claimant playing by the rules of science? You kind of covered that one already. No, the claimant is building their own little walled garden of information and intentionally keeping out people who are playing by the rules of science. Hmm. Is the claimant providing positive evidence? So they're not providing positive evidence for creationism? So no. No, they're just providing negative evidence of evolution. That's it. Does the new theory account for as many phenomena as the old theory? No. The new theory cherry-picks phenomena it works better for. That's usually how these go. Yeah. But just like, it, for examples, right? It doesn't account for speciation. It doesn't account for new traits that do develop. It doesn't account for, like, anytime a germ becomes resistant to an antibiotic. It doesn't account for that. Mm-hmm. It does account for when a germ becomes less resistant and then dies immediately, but so does evolution. Yeah. Final question. And I think we know the answer to this one. <laughs> Are personal beliefs driving the claim? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, That. that's it. Yep. Yeah, these... these People want to believe in a god, and they want genetic entropy to be their tool to convert all the atheists. So there was like two of the questions, I think, that it turned out to be, you know, in favor of, and like all the rest of them were like, yeah, no. Yeah, honestly, if I was using this, if like two of the questions turned out to be not in favor of, I'd still be like, that's probably bullshit. Yeah, certainly worthy of additional uh, glossing over or not glossing over, additional investigation yeah because some things like when people propose chiropractic as a real way to uh to like seek healing a typical chiropractic claim would look a lot better on this scale I, I bet if you phrased a claim the right way you could get six or seven you know good answers where this source looks good until you eventually realize that oh this chiropractic group isn't real doctors they're not doing real procedures there's no deeper evidence than testimonials and then it all fall apart mm-hmm. that might be sketchy to some of our listeners but chiropractic is is actually not they're not doc chiropractors aren't doctors sometimes they feel like it when you walk into their clinic but they're not yeah the yeah. chiropractors i've a very limited number of chiropractors i've ever interacted with in a professional setting quote-unquote professional uh, they did everything in their power to make themselves appear like actual doctors yeah the ones here in america do that they go well out of their way to seem credible and usually they have the patient's interest at heart too and they'll tell their patients to go to a doctor like if they have a problem that they can't deal with like i haven't heard of this directly but i've heard secondhand accounts that people have tried to get their covid treated by getting their back popped or oh my god and it is my understanding most chiropractors say, yeah, go to a real doctor. Yeah. Sorry, that's not my department. Yeah, we can't bone adjust a virus away. Ugh. Such a great world if we could, though. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. You just crack your knuckles and all the viruses die. Yeah. So we've got we've got some ideas for comparing kinds of evidence. Right? Testimonies are bad, but uh, and then and then academic studies are good. But why why these two extremes? There's there's a lot in the middle, and we can't possibly touch on them all. Mm-hmm. Why? What makes one source better than another? Uh, a few things. One of the first things that comes to mind is, like, is it something that is coming from a person that, in such a way that can be colored by a bias, or is it just raw data? Because raw data, assuming it's actually raw data and not cherry-picked, is presumably free of bias. Well, anytime data is in a form it's easy to ingest anytime it's it's made into something like a sound bite it has to be some sort of some sort of heavy filtering some sort of bias yes. has to be applied it's whether or not it's still correct after the filtering and biases happen like if i just produce a number and say that one in a million people who got the johnson and johnson vaccine will suffer a blood clotting disorder that is very true that's uh, as per our last episode close to an accurate number mm-hmm. right 
one in a million that is still super safe. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just still thrilled by knowing how dangerous a thing is and it comes out still good. It doesn't happen too often. Uh, that's a very sound, biteable set of information. And even though it has our biases in there, it's still, still, it's still true. So yeah, some numbers will survive the bias and filtering and some won't. Yeah, so I don't, this is a common pitfall. A lot of people think that, oh, it's biased automatically. That makes it wrong. No, something can be biased and correct at the same time. Yeah. It's just you have to be mindful of the bias and how that changes the information, if it changes it at all. One thing that a lot of racist people like to say is uh, that black people make up what, 3% of the population, but 50% of the crime. And depending on how you cherry pick the numbers, you can get some numbers that look something like that. If you pick the right city, if you pick the right crime statistic, like if you pick a violent crime versus nonviolent crime, you can find a number that makes that look right. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take into account places where that isn't the case. It doesn't take into account socioeconomic factors. It doesn't take into account racist police. It doesn't take into account that black people get stopped and frisked more than white people in places where that's allowed. Right? And if you stop and frisk everyone, you're going to find that you know, white people and black people have similar rates of drugs or knives or guns on their person. But if only black people are getting stopped and frisked, it's going to look in the numbers like more black people commit more crime. So, I don't know, is, is, that, is, that, is that an example of the number being wrong? Uh, so with the, the premise you've put forth, I, I would say that no, it's not an example of the number being wrong. It's, it's just that it's a cherry-picked number that is useful in a very, very narrow assertion that is being misused. And that narrow assertion is, is borderline useless as it is, which yeah, is probably why it's being misused. <laughs> so, yeah, the number's not wrong. It's just, it's how it's being presented. Yeah. And the claim that's being attached to it. Hmm. The question of, does the source support the claim would fail here. And that's why I think you like to go straight to numbers. Because even when numbers are being presented by racist people or horrible people or people who support like a really hard agenda if you can get real numbers you can ask really binary yes no questions is this true is this false yeah it makes the the litmus test really simple but then when people say let's, let's pick on somebody more liberal right mm -hmm. if somebody's saying that uh the polar caps are melting the polar bears and penguins won't have any place to live there's no numbers there right and there's a climatology models that can be looked at, but there is no simple number. Correct? Yeah, yeah. You have to start digging deep to get numbers. Like you have to ask, what kinds of numbers measure ice cap melt rates? Yeah. Right. And then, do we care about surface coverage of ice, or do we care about cubic meters of ice melted? Right. And it starts getting complex and more nebulous, nuanced. And you also have to ask over what time frame. Right. Will all yeah. the ice be melted in fifty years? Is that long enough for polar bears to adapt? Will it be melted in two years? Right. What is So that claim doesn't have good numbers behind it. I mean, the ice caps are melting, and some people do sensationalize it. And then some people point out very seriously that, oh, this is going to screw with currents and could, could impact how we manage our cities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially for Europe. That's a whole other conversation I don't want to get too deep into, but there's some pretty good science there. Yeah. The climate change is definitely happening. It's definitely man-made. But then some people say it will kill all humanity. Oh, no. Probably not true. It probably will start a few wars. Yeah. It'll create resource scarcity, and that triggers wars. Yep. It'll probably change weather. For sure. Yeah. But then that wasn't packaged in that claim. That's our, those are extra verifications that me and you came up with. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's why you're liking the numbers, because of the bias in that claim, somebody could make a claim like that and make it more biased towards a fear-mongering worldview, and the bias would then make that claim wrong. Without the polar bears, all the ecosystems will collapse, humanity will die. Right? That's a totally different claim than, hey, the ice caps are melting, polar bears are going to die. I think polar bears shouldn't die. They have a purpose in the ecosystem. We should work to save them. And then also, it will impact humanity. Yep. Not a good soundbite. Doesn't get said. Now, there's a lot of clarifying nuances there, but that's what makes it correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good way to check. How many, uh, how many weasel words did someone use? The more, the more likely they are to be correct, but also the less useful the claim as a soundbite. Yeah. It's harder to pick on the left nowadays. There used to be more left and right, both sides being dishonest. No, we have one side that's outright declaring a war on truth. QAnon has subverted conservatism in the u.s yeah not that i've been big on conservatism just conserving their own power but they could in theory do that by way of governing for the people <laughs> sorry we're getting way off in the weeds i'll probably edit a huge chunk of this out yeah um other forms of evidence that are relevant that we see all the time right like something you experienced that's pretty good unless it's a kind of thing that is statistical in nature like uh i know a lot of people say if you just want to know a simple fact like does my neighbor have a dog yes no Right? If you go over to your neighbor's house and you see a dog, you know they don't have it. Or if your neighbor gave you a tour of the house and you didn't see a dog house, you didn't see a kennel, you didn't see a dog bowl, you didn't see a dog, you went in the backyard, you didn't see dog poop, probably don't have a dog, right? Probably. And that's a non-statistical claim. It's a binary yes, no, your neighbor has a dog, and you take away a binary yes, no, I don't think they have a dog or I think they do have a dog. Mm -hmm. Okay. But a, st a statistical claim might be something like, I got a COVID vaccine. I didn't have issues, therefore no one will have issues. Not true. It's closer to true than somebody claiming, I drive in a car, I don't wear seatbelts, I'm safe and alive now, therefore everyone who does this is safe all the time. Totally not true. The specific term for that, I believe, is uh, survivorship bias. Especially with those two topics, COVID and driving without seatbelts. Survivorship's a big deal there. Yep. So yeah, so if you're looking to see if you can take a fact and move it out to a larger scale, a larger population, you need to weed out luck, weed out your personal experience. Because statistic, statistical claims, like how many people die each year wearing seatbelts, not wearing seatbelts. Clearly people wearing seatbelts die less often. Clearly people getting the vaccine die less often. But how much less? You can't, you can't measure that by yourself. Yeah. But some things you can measure yourself, right? So if you're, you know, if you've done a thing, right, if you've, been, if you've fixed your microwave, right, you're a really good source on fixing that model of microwave. Great. Doesn't make you a source, a good source on fixing all microwaves. And it's really hard to parse these nuances. Mm -hmm. The transferability of skills is variable. And even uh, several of our sources point to relevance. Is the information relevant? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we've blathered on enough. There's a lot of reading you can do if you want to dig into our sources. Or was there anything else you had? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to see our sources, if you want to think about how you think a little bit more, we have several really good links, including to that being 99.9% .9 ignorant essay, uh, including common fallacies and the uh, six sources that we mentioned uh, at the beginning of the segment. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so clip here. Sure. Your pop filter should be about an inch away from the mic. Right oh. there, pops could still get through, but I don't think we probably got any. Weird. Ah, so we've collected a bunch of sources on a... Rather fun topic. Oh, fun. Yeah, that's a word for it. Hey, Ted Nugent got sick. 
It's amusing to me. It's worthy of a chuckle. I I saw him in concert a couple times. Every time he was juggling chainsaws, I'd hope he'd catch the wrong end. Oh, okay then. (laughs) I presume he took the blade out of him. That would be intelligent. Yeah, because he did drop one off the stage. I don't remember where this was. This was at Riverfest a while ago. It was this stupid, stupid concert with a ton of people. And he got up on stage and he was like a trillion years old, even 20 years ago. And he was trying to go for the world record of chainsaw juggling. And he got to like seven and gave up. It's still, I can't juggle seven chain. I don't have seven chainsaws. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, The reason we bring up Ted Nugent is he's a COVID denier and got COVID recently. And we have several stories in this vein, people denying COVID and catching it. Mm -hmm. He sticks out quite a bit more than the others because he's famous. You followed the uh, rock scene at all. You've you've heard of him. But he was also recently on InfoWars, and he was trying to push how safe the AR-15 was rather dishonestly. If you want to see it, there's a link in the notes. You're just laughing reading my notes. Yeah, claimed a shotgun with pellets was more lethal than a rifle because 30 pellets will kill 30 people. This is another one of those things where it's like, okay, technically the laws of physics don't prohibit this, but in practice, no. Yeah, Just no. It was a little bit blatant, too. He held up a, a shell and said, there's 30 pellets in here. This will kill 30 people. It was like not screwing around in the wording, not weaseling, not like this might kill multiple people. Like, no, he's like, this will kill. And the whole time he's talking about this is the kind of gun you get to go kill rabbits and pheasants. Does he presume that the pellets are seeking? I don't know. He's, he's, he just has an agenda to push because at the end of that segment, he started talking about everyone should have NRA memberships. And he was pushing the NRA membership thing really hard. So I'm pretty sure it was money driven, but I haven't dug into that. So I can't firmly make that. Claim. Anyway, we're way off topic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just some notes on him getting COVID. He had flu-like symptoms for 10 days. And then when he was questioned, he said that at the end of that time period, before he went to the hospital, he felt like he was dying. Probably because he was. I've heard from people that have gotten COVID that it can be really bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you can feel like you're dying and then, you know, just pull out on day 13, 14, 15 and just be better. I've heard a couple people say that you do start to get better and then it comes back with a vengeance once. Ooh, gross. Yeah. I imagine it varies wildly because... Of the way it gets you, it impairs your lung function. Yeah. So if, like, fluid gets out of the way for a little bit, you might feel better for a while, and then fluid comes back, then you die. Yeah. Potentially. Even after getting this, and even after going to the hospital, uh, he still refuses to get the vaccine because, quote, no one knows what is in it. And hearing him say that, that's the whole quote, no one knows what's in it, makes me wonder, he says it, like there's one vaccine, not five. It makes me think that either he's dishonest or he's unaware that it goes through a bunch of testing. Yeah. And like ingredients lists are actually displayed for a lot of the vaccines. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of these deniers are either unaware there's an ingredients list or think the ingredients list is a lie. Yeah, probably. Which would be kind of ridiculous because if it was a lie, there'd be way more people complaining about allergy issues. Mm -hmm. Let's take the most extreme ridiculous version. These people that say there's microchips in there. Somebody's allergic to microchips. Right? Yeah. If the government were lying and putting microchips in the vaccine, somebody would have an allergic reaction and there would be more deaths from it. Yep. So you you have to dig multiple conspiracy theories or you have to dig you have to dig into the conspiracy theory side of things to keep explaining the inconsistencies with reality. 
but most of them don't go there. They just put the one theory out there and then don't test it critically. They decide on a conclusion and then grasp to anything that even remotely. Yeah, their, their conclusion is they don't want to take the vaccine. Yeah. And then, and there are honest ways to get to that conclusion. It's just none of them are taking it. Yeah. Uh, the other person to you have here. Oh, yeah. That one I found slightly more entertaining than... That Dugent, uh, maybe entertaining is not the best word, but apparently uh, a man named Hans Christian Gardner or Gardner? Gardner. Yeah, he's Norwegian. Uh, I think it's just Garter. Garter. There's probably some special Norwegian pronunciation, but I'm just going to say Garter. Sure. Garter. So apparently he is an outspoken conspiracy theorist, has a small following, remarkably, and tried to say that COVID was a hoax, got COVID, and then died covid yeah he it's my understanding he didn't go to a hospital yeah he stayed holed up in his house uh for two weeks refused any kind of test and refused any kind of medical treatment not that there were very many offers to it because he did what he could to hide hide the symptoms yeah he caught covid at a house party where no one was wearing masks he had two such house parties yep i don't know what the celebration was but i think it would be awesome if they got together to celebrate conspiracies (laughs) that's it's my headcanon on this. I'm imagining that's how that worked. <laughs> or defeating the government conspiracy on COVID. Yeah. So for this Gardner guy, we have three different sources. There's Daily Chaos, which has a, a small write-up. Uh, there's a Reddit discussion. And uh, there's a newsinenglish.no. That's a, a Norwegian site intentionally retranslating news that's made in Norwegian so English people, English-speaking people in Norway can read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all corroborate this. They all have slightly different things they're focused on. Yeah, uh, this this is one of those guys, like we mentioned in episode six, he swallowed the conspiracy pill on a lot of things. He believed in Trump uh, Trump winning the election conspiracies. Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of random stuff. Yeah, pretty much the conspiracy theorist starter kit. He had all of it. Yeah, it makes me, how do you, how do you live in Norway and then start caring about some other country's election conspiracies? Mm, you just get, caught up in the belief that there is some great evil going on and you go from there but we don't need conspiracy theories to see great evils no we don't i mean but the conspiracy theorists great evils are easier to digest i don't know man you look at the u.s military and it might one could be forgiven if they thought the u.s military's goal was to bomb brown people it's an organization with a lot of bombs and they keep landing on brown people that isn't a hard thing to digest. That's much easier to get to. But I guess I shouldn't be rating the plausibility of conspiracy theories, right? Because we are bombing these people for socio-political reasons. Go, like, oh, you're coming after our oil. Let's bomb you. <laughs> for whatever reasons we're bombing them. Oh, you supported somebody who supported someone who supported a terrorist. We're bombing you. I don't mean that in any pejorative way. If you're offended by me calling you brown, I'm not saying you should be bombed. I'm just saying the U.S. military might bomb you. Yeah. There's some evidence for that claim. Do we have to go search for bombings by race now? No, we definitely do not. Another episode, maybe. Oh, God. That that sounds terrible. Uh, you picked out some specific items from a rather long Reddit discussion. Uh, yes. So throughout the pandemic, this question has been actually been asked a few times, and this is the most recent incarnation that I'm aware of about... What exactly was this? Ten days ago. Ten days ago, yeah. Somebody asked, doctors of Reddit, what happened when you diagnosed a COVID-19 denier with COVID-19? 
That's a mostly straightforward question. Uh, not very many people that were actually doctors chimed in. There's a few doctors that did. Most of the people that are actually like physically there and they're not relaying stories from like a cousin or a significant other. Uh, most of those people were actually nurses who still were able to share quite a bit. And that makes a ton of sense. It's not like you need a complicated scan or big equipment to diagnose someone, right? There's like a swab you stick into their head and you send down to the lab. Yeah. And a lot of the time, nurses are the ones doing the grunt work that are facing the brunt of this. Yeah. You save the doctors for saving like the the more severe cases or doing the more difficult procedures. Because mm-hmm. even like putting like an air tube in someone, a nurse does that, don't they? Uh, usually, yeah. Yeah. Not always. But, and, and a lot of these stories do follow similar patterns. Uh, people deny COVID exists. And there was a, a whole lot of posts where they're like, oh yeah, they uh, left the hospital AMA. And I'm like, ask me anything? And <laughs> it took me a few posts to realize that AMA in this context means against medical advice. So these COVID deniers are being recommended what they should do. And in some cases, the point is being driven home because when they try to storm out of the hospital, they physically can't. They're too winded. Their their lung capacity is too diminished by COVID in order to do anything remotely close to making a scene. Oh, yeah. One of these people, uh, one of these testimonials, and these are testimonials, yeah. so we can't take that any one of them is true. These could just be shit posters on, on the internet. Those exist. Yeah. But that there are hundreds, thousands of stories like this out there. Yes. Even if half of them are just full of shit, this happens. These yeah. things are still happening. And, and one of these testimonials said that the patient was complaining about COVID being a hoax after they pulled out their air tube and they were having to gasp deeply between each protest they were making. Yeah. I mean, the evidence is right there in your sentence in the middle of your protest. How a lot of people solve that cognitive dissonance is that, oh, clearly I have something. Tell me what I actually have. It can't possibly be COVID because COVID is a hoax. So they don't deny that they're ill. They just, they think that COVID is this fake political thing. Yeah. Which is why you caught it when everyone was yelling about COVID and you're in a COVID ward and everyone else around you is dying of COVID and yeah. It couldn't be COVID. Even if it weren't COVID-19, it's clearly some communicable disease that everyone else around you has. Yeah. At that point, you start following that train of thought down to its inevitable conclusion, and you're left thinking, okay, well, if you don't deny that you're sick, if you don't deny all these other people are sick, you don't deny that these symptoms exist, at some point... If it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, like, what does it matter what the specific label is? I don't remember the quote, but somebody said that COVID-19 has to be a hoax because what happened to COVID-1 through uh, 18? Oh, my God. Yeah, That was uh, similar to a comment I think Rush Limbaugh made. I could be mistaking that, but... He tried to to downplay COVID-19. He's like, well, why do you think they call it COVID-19? Because there's 19 of them, and that's false. It's COVID-19 because we discovered it in 2019. Yeah. But we're suffering from it because we discovered it in December of 2019. Maybe November? But it became really popular in March of 2020. Yeah. COVID became popular. I mean, that's the goal of every virus. When did COVID go platinum? Oh my god. How can we have viruses if we have genetic entropy? Explain me this. (laughs) Yeah, actually, speaking of which, the rate at which viruses undergo evolution... You would think that they'd be the first things to die out. From? Genetic entropy. Well, maybe pieces of our DNA are falling off and making new viruses, huh? 
I suppose I hadn't considered that. I'm going to never acknowledge this conversation again. Yeah, genetic entropy is just better not to think about. It is is a fractal of, of wrongness. You can pick any level of genetic entropy and it doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so there were three particular stories that I felt deviated from the typical pattern enough to be individually noteworthy that I shared with you and you want me to share here. Okay. Uh, this first one is, I, I think is actually kind of funny. Uh, so I'm going to say who posted these and I make no guarantees to the correctness of pronunciation here. I'm just going to make an effort. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. Fifth intercostal posted, didn't diagnose a denier. So not exactly this but did have a patient refuse testing upon admission and aggressively yelling, COVID is a hoax. I calmly said, okay, nurse, since we don't know his status, please admit him to the COVID floor. He became a believer in an instant and requested to be tested. Uh, It is great how quickly they backpedal on these uh, convictions. As soon as there is a consequence. Yeah. An immediate consequence. Now, to be fair there, this person may still have not believed in COVID. They just didn't want to be placed with all the sick people. That's that's possible. Yeah. They also might have thought that their protest might have got them a, a clean mark so they didn't further engage with whatever conspiracy or experimenting or terrible things were happening in the Red Ward. The Red Ward being the COVID one. I don't know if that one was the color-coded one or not. Uh, there's There's a lot of bad logic one could use to accept a COVID test in that case, but still all of it like... All of it stems from not thinking clearly on this. Yeah. It, it, and it does kind of raise the the problem. Like, even if you don't believe it's real, why are you exerting so much energy to fight against these protections? Well, that one I can kind of see. I expend a lot of energy fighting against religion. I don't think it's real. Uh, I do think it has real effects, though. I think people who believe religious things do really messed up things, like deny COVID. Gets a little circular there. A little bit. I don't think that's circular reasoning. I think that's more just all these ideas are interconnected. If you start believing one wrong thing, you get another. Hmm. I don't know. And there is... I'm aware that a lot of the anti-vaxxers and like COVID deniers out there, they they see COVID-19 as a mechanism to oppress them, to tell them what they can and can't do in their daily lives. And this new normal is exactly that. It's going to remain this way. We're never going to get back to the old normal. And I mean, there's a little bit of grain of truth to that. Like a pandemic like this is severely detrimental to society. And some of those scars are going to remain for a while. Some of the things will be good though. Yeah. Right. We've normalized masks a little bit. Hopefully if someone gets sick, they'll be more likely to wear a mask from now on. Just being courteous to our fellow Americans. Mm-hmm. If you have to like ride public transit and you have you know, a cold, put a mask on. Awesome. Not hard. Yeah. So I'm aware that that is a, a viewpoint. And I understand that that would be a reason to exert energy against this. But then to just cave instantly. As Someone soon with- as there are consequences? Yeah. Yeah, like if someone really has convictions against these types of ideas, why is the solution to completely cave right away rather than go to a different hospital? Hmm? It just, I, I don't know. Anyway, 
instead of do something that stands by those convictions. No, I agree. Yep. So uh, another one, and this one's, <laughs> I don't even. Okay. So function built, posted, quote, my wife's a nurse just had to deal with a patient who refused to get tested prior to her surgery, so they had to treat her like a COVID patient and needed to charge her for all the added PPE like gowns, goggles, etc. The kicker is, recovery wouldn't take her for observation while she was woken up, so the anesthesiologist needed to stay and monitor her in the room for nearly three hours. They billed at $400 for every 15 minutes, and there is no way her insurance is going to cover the extra cost because she signed a document saying she denied a COVID test. That is fucking glorious. Because this person denied COVID, and chances are that makes them a Republican, Mm -hmm. and because they're a Republican, chances are they don't support that communist social health care Mm-hmm. They're probably pro having health insurance instead of having a centralized health care. That whole thing is going to come back and bite them full circle. And their health care, their, their insurance is going to deny this because this was easily preventable. Yep. If they would have gotten the COVID test, they probably would have been shown to be clear. Or if not, they probably would have had the surgery delayed a couple weeks, if it yep. could be. Either way, you wouldn't be $400 per 15 minutes? An extra three hours? That's $4,800 just for the anesthesiologist. That's not counting the PPE. That's not counting the complexities of the insurance potentially rejecting the claim for the surgery. That is a shit show for that person unless they are just fantastically wealthy. Yeah. That is a gigantic medical bill that would have just had insurance cover it otherwise. Now, they'll they'll probably be able to talk some of it down if they're intelligent. Oh, yeah. If they're persistent, they'll probably be able to talk some of it down. But that anesthesiologist, I have to imagine, he's going to want his money. If he has, like, a separate practice, the hospital may not be able to talk him down on it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the hospital's relaying uh, through a small markup. Maybe this guy's charging $200 for every 15 minutes and the hospital's taking 50%. Even if you cut that in half, right, that's still $2,400 of that medical bill that just didn't need to be there. Damn. Yeah, this woman's paying for it, so at least she's paying for her convictions, unlike the last guy. Yeah, well, I was about to say we'll see, but we probably won't hear from this particular story ever again. But, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I have to imagine lots of people are paying extra for COVID because they don't realize it. And the easiest way to pay extra for COVID is not get tested when you think you might have it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you were exposed, right, if somebody near you said they had COVID, go get a test. A test costs a little bit of money, but if it prevents you from getting into a more critical situation, it can save you a lot of money. Yeah. Right? Early prevention and all that. Yeah. Getting something, or at least getting to a doctor and asking what you can do and making sure that you're in the best health, that you're as best hydrated as you can be before you actually get sick, not having to work a day where you're sick, not being on your feet, that can be the difference between making it and not making it, or the difference between becoming critical, or just having a really shitty couple of days. A common detail among all these posts in this Reddit thread is people who come in having difficulty breathing. The doctor recommends that they get intubated or have some kind of oxygen assistance, and they say no. They leave, and the then they're back in the hospital two days later, and they're being forcefully intubated in order to save their lives. And they're unconscious at this point. It, yeah. And it's already too late. They end up dying anyway. 
if they had just listened to the medical advice the first time, they'd probably still be alive. Yeah, and there's no guarantees there, but it's... No, of course not. It's a statistical threshold, right? Yeah. The people who leave and then are brought back in an ambulance because they're no longer breathing, they're way less likely to make it than the people who stayed. Yeah. But there's still a chance that if you go there and you do everything the doctors say, there's still a real chance you die. But then why would you ignore the doctor? You're just raising your chances of dying. Yep. Because, I mean, we still don't have great numbers on exactly how lethal COVID is because we're getting better at treating it. We're you know, People mm -hmm. who are most at risk are already vaccinated. So it's somewhere between like half a percent lethal and 5% lethal, right? Mm -hmm. But that's if you're doing everything the doctor says. If a thing is, let's say, 2% lethal, right? That's insane. That is so crazy dangerous compared to the things we normally do. Yep. Why would you ignore what the doctor says and increase those chances? Another post, recalling from memory on this yeah, one, sure. is that uh, one doctor was lamenting. He's like, well, you listen to all of my treatment plans and my recommendations for alleviating your diabetes, but you don't want to listen to me about getting a vaccine. And apparently he confronted one of his patients with more or less that sentiment. And the patient was just like, I just don't want to get a vaccine. It's not even about a, a, like necessarily a difference in trust. They just don't want the vaccine. Yeah. At least that person's being honest about it. Mm -hmm. So... The worst I can say about them is that they're just not a good person. They're cruel. They don't care who else they might make sick. Yeah. But I can't call them a liar and cruel. All right. The third post that I had specifically set aside, this was posted by My Ghost is Haunted. I like that name. It's a good name. Yeah. It's up there with If These Tears Could Cry. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, they posted, I quote, I'm a student funeral director and I see families go to the funeral of someone who died of COVID and still deny it. They started out shrieking at the doctors to change the cause of death on the death certificate. Now FEMA is helping with funeral expenses for COVID deaths. Suddenly there's changes of heart. Of course there are. Yeah. As soon as you can get money, you'll say whatever, they'll say whatever it takes to get money. Tells you how, how strong their convictions are. Yeah. Pretty much. That is a little bit disgusting. Uh, and just a side note, there was a, another response that's not worthy of, of repeating. And then somebody responded to that because they start talking about cognitive dissonance in this comment chain. Yeah. And at one point in the comment chain, a guy says, I assume lots of people get to their flat earth meetings using GPS directions. <sighs> and that's that's pretty good. For cognitive dissonance. It's pretty good. That makes a lot of sense because flat earthers often are going out into the middle of the wilderness to perform various experiments. I'm sure if you, we haven't had a flat earth episode yet. No. But a common experiment flat earthers will do to attempt to prove that the earth is flat is they'll get a large body of water that's relatively still and they will float things that are a known height. Usually a board, like a, like a plank of plywood. They'll drill like a one inch or a two inch hole in each plank at the same height. And the idea is that if you float this plank and you hold it up vertical, you can shine a laser through all three of the holes. And if the earth is flat, your laser light will go all the way through. If the earth is round, it will hit one of the boards <laughs> in the middle. And the people who do the experiment wrong, they misunderstand the curvature of the earth and they'll put the boards like 200 feet apart and the laser will go all the way through. <laughs> uh, when they put the, the boards, you know, miles apart, uh, it doesn't, it, uh, the earth, drops off about two inches every every mile i think something like that 
Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. But the Earth drops off some inches per some miles. So if your boards are sufficiently far apart and you shine a sufficiently bright light through it, you'll wind up drawing circles on the succeeding boards eventually. But anyway, these these lakes, you need a lake that makes a flat earther happy. It's got to be sufficiently flat, uh, sufficiently peaceful, so it can't be a lake where there's lots of wind, so there's usually got to be tree cover or uh, nearby cliffs. Uh, it's got to be temperate, and it needs to not have boats on it. So you actually hear about flat earthers driving miles out to the middle of nowhere somewhat often. Yeah, GPS has to be involved. Yep. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> yep. Uh, did you have any more of those that you wanted to read? No, I I mean, the whole thread is... Uh, oh my God, it, it's a bit of a shit show. But I think that's that's good for now. Yeah. Um, we have some other stories about conspiracy theory stuff. I guess we can save that for later because more of it's a little bit more ridiculous. Like there were people claiming that being forced to wear masks was equivalent to, to uh, Jews in World War II having to wear the Star of David and other oh. horrible shit. I guess I'll leave that source in. Okay. But there's a bunch of anti-maskers swallowing other conspiracy pills, and that that's, I guess, less related here than just anti-maskers and COVID deniers getting... Know, actually catching covid it's kind of disgusting really yeah uh, well if that's all we've got i guess we'll see everybody next time mm-hmm. see you next time give me this weird side eye okay we need to be able to record this to we need, we need an audio recording of my side eye yes i also the reason i haven't paused yet was because i grabbed the mouse for the wrong computer oh that's uh it's definitely a problem i have a mouse over here you like you can use if you'd like oh that's i that was gonna mm. yes please (laughs) (laughs) thanks to all of our patreon supporters at the evidence investigator level or higher including jared duct tape keldar and lazori 78 thanks for listening and check out the show notes at disevidentia.com copyright 2021 blacktop studios inc intro music was slow by pitx used with permission